tonight's thought. I'm discovering new things about Zippo lighters every single day. Yeah, no, it's this uh, wonderful little device that you hold in your hand, that you uh, flick. It's kind of like the original fidget, you know, these fidgets that are so, like, uh, popular with the kids these days. You know, they uh, sit in class and they uh, they they got to have something to fidget with. That's that's what the Zippo lighter is. You know, it's got this wonderful sound that you just you can sit there and just click it all day long, like you know, you know. And uh, uh, it's more than just a fidget. It's just one of the most amazing machines that I think uh, America has ever produced. If you uh, quite honestly want to want to really think about it you can declare it so it's an amazing machine this little uh zippo from birmingham alabama this is the midnight citizen show and i'm your host mike booty yes after a very long time away Tonight is February 5th, 2022, and uh, this is the uh, first time I've been here in the uh, studio recording a show. Recording a show anywhere, not just in the studio, but uh, anywhere since, I believe, uh, last July. I've got my little uh, on-air little sign here. (laughs) I'll put that down there. I got this little uh, marquee thing. It's one of those things that they sell in like the impulse buy section right next to the cash register at the bookstore. And uh, it's got it's like this little light up sign. You push a button and it's uh, you know, got these uh, wrap around lights and uh, you got a bunch of letters and numbers. And you can put kind of like, um, you know, whatever you want to in there. And, you know, you can uh, put dirty words on there and give it to your friends as a gag gift or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, I got it. Uh, now, uh, a couple of summers ago when I started doing the show again, when COVID happened, when I started doing the Midnight Citizen show again for the first time in three years, um, and I was standing in line at the bookstore one day and I thought this would be a kind of a nice little uh, thing for a uh, the studio to turn on whenever I do a show, give a little ambiance, you know, on the air. There we go. And uh, I am uh, I am videoing myself right now. I'm not doing a live stream tonight. Usually when I'm in the studio, I do a live stream show. I decided not to tonight on a Saturday night. Uh, even though in the past it's been so much fun to live stream shows and uh, get a whole community of people involved on YouTube. They chat. They say things. I respond to them. I decided not to do that tonight. Uh, because normally I, I do my shows, if I'm going to do them in, here in the studio, I usually do them live at like 11 o'clock or so on a Saturday night. And uh, I just didn't want to wait that late. Right now it's about 8 o'clock on a Saturday night right now. And... 
you know, I just didn't want to, I like, I'm going to be up late. Don't get me wrong. I love to stay up on uh, late on Saturday night, but it's, it's the school year and I'm a teacher. And, uh, that's one of the reasons why I do not do this show, uh, when school is in, because I, I, I need my weekends as a teacher. You, you, you need time to recharge your batteries to, um, to reflect on the week, to make new lesson plans for the coming week. And, uh, doing a show, uh, at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, just, uh, it doesn't appeal to me that much during the school year, but, uh, I digress. A couple weeks ago, I was, uh, here in the Midnight Citizen studio and I was just kind of, uh, bored and just started tinkering with my, uh, with my mixer and my audio and listening to some of my old shows that I've done in the past two years. And I was like, you know, this is a pretty cool little uh, project here that I do. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to come to you tonight um, on this beautiful, cold evening. It's a cold one out there. It's a cold one. Yeah. It's a cold night, and you know, uh, I was playing with my Zippo. And no, that's not a euphemism or anything. I was literally just sitting here flicking my Zippo back and forth. And uh, I've only i've I've had Zippos uh, off and on, kind of amassed a very small collection of them over the past ten years or so. And. Uh, it really is interesting how I kind of keep discovering new feats of engineering that the Zippo uh, has. So, for instance, uh, here's one that I have. I, I got this one from a friend of mine recently uh, who was rooting through his mom's house. And uh, he just found a, a huge collection of Zippos that uh, his mom's husband, he doesn't call him a father or whatever, but because uh, they were uh, divorced. And his mom married somebody else, and this this guy that she married uh, died, and so he was uh, in in town, kind of rooting through the house, helping her uh, clean out uh, everything that this guy had, and uh, he found a big box of Zippos that he had. I guess he was going to get them and sell them or something. I mean, he never got around to it, and so my friend just gave me uh, one of these Zippos right here. And it's just a completely plain silver Zippo, you know, but. Uh, the, the thing about these is that, that they, they can give you an identity of some kind. And you know, very often they do give you identities. Like in movies or something. If a character has a Zippo, you, you, you know like to stay away from them. Like they're a badass. Uh, they're scary or whatever. Like in Reservoir Dogs or something. When the guy has a Zippo and uh, he uses it to like light a, 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 a cop on fire. Doesn't he? Doesn't he do that at one point? Yeah, he, like, pours gasoline on him. This is Mr. Blonde. Uh, I should know, actually, because I have a Zippo here with uh, Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> with the Reservoir Dogs guy on it. You know, uh, it says Mr. Booty. You know how, like, everybody in that movie, in Reservoir Dogs, that Quentin Tarantino movie from the early 90s, has a different color. Like, there's Mr. Black, Mr. Blonde, not Mr. Brown, because it sounds too much like Mr. Shit uh it's you know it's a cute movie uh 
But yeah, my my uh, when my sister got married in the early two thousands, uh, I was a groomsman for my brother in law in the wedding, and as a groomsman gift, he gave me and all the other groomsmen uh, these Zippo lighters, right, as keepsakes from the wedding. And uh, mine has like this little Reservoir Dogs guy on it, and like a black suit, and a black tie, and a white shirt, and uh, it says Mister Booty on it. So there it is. And uh, so I guess the thinking was is that, you know, I can have this. I can, like, use it to light cigarettes, even though I don't smoke cigarettes. And, you know, I can, uh, I can like, show everybody how cool I am, right? <laughs> But let's just, like, take the Zippo apart for just a second. Let's take the Zippo apart, okay? So, like, you have this case that uh, you can put anything on it. And, you know, you go to the gas station, you see, like, these Zippos with, like, Confederate flags on it or whatever. You can get that. And that can be, like, a cool affectation. Just go around flicking your Zippo around, right? Like, this is such a distinctive sound. Like, listen to this. Like, I don't know. I mean, can, like... Sounds like this be trademarked by is is this sound trademarked by the Zippo company? I don't know. Like certain companies can trademark certain colors, like Coca-Cola has the claim on like that certain color of red. Or UPS has like UPS brown. Does Zippo have like this this sound trademarked, you know? Am I breaking the law right now? I don't know. But you open this thing up. Okay, and the way that, you know, you, you pull it out, it's just a case, so it's got like the little inside here. And you flip it over, and it's got a bunch of cotton. It's stuffed with cotton, which uh, helps to ignite the wick, right? And the fascinating thing about this is, is like what's holding all of this cotton in is there's this little screw. It's like a little metal screw with... Uh, another little like piece of fabric holding all the cotton in and so you can unscrew this thing but like oh my gosh i don't have a screwdriver you need like a flathead screwdriver well guess what you take you take the case of the zippo and it fits that little uh crevice perfectly and you can just like screw unscrew it right and it comes out and it's uh, spring-loaded, so you kind of very slowly pull the, uh, pull the spring out and turn it upside down. I'm not going to do it now, but... Uh, and, and the flint comes out. The old flint, and then you can put the new flint in. Right? So it's pretty simple and pretty ingenious. Just how simple that is. Um, right? If you're ever out, like... They used to issue these to GIs, right? I'm not I'm not crazy. They used to give these things like standard issue to GIs along with like chewing gum, cyanide capsules, and condoms. They would give them to the GIs, right? So the GIs would be like out in the field and they would need to uh, relight their Zippo and they, they, 
right? They run out of, they, they don't have like a, a, a screwdriver or whatever, so they just use the case of their Zippo. There it is. Fantastic. <laughs> I actually do have, so one of my Zippos here actually does need some new flint. So this is like the new little, uh, oh wait, no, it lit up just now. So that one doesn't. Okay, that one's good. This is my matte black one. I just like the plain ones. I don't like anything with like a design on it or whatever. Unless it has sentimental value like this Reservoir Dogs thing. But, uh, let me see this one. Yeah, that one's, so all my Zippos are good right now, actually. Okay, they've all got fuel. But yeah, you take a little lighter fluid and you get this Zippo lighter fluid here. And just pop it open. And on the back, once again, just an engineering marble. Like, you don't want to have all that cotton fall out on you or anything. And You know, so what happens is, is that the little screw here, it holds down the fabric. It's already in there. And all you got to do is, like, lift that fabric up and just dip, dip the lighter fluid in there and just, like, get it going and Fill it up until it uh, until you see the, the fluid rising to the top, and then you put it back in the case. And do that. you got to be very careful, though, if you spill fluid on your hands. Because your hands will light very, very briefly on fire. I remember the very first time I ever filled one of these up, I was terrified. I was afraid I was going to like light myself on fire or whatever. So we'll, like, uh, we'll light a candle here with it. And yeah, the, the other great thing about these Zippos, well, I actually just disproved my point. The other great thing about these Zippos most of the time is that uh, they're not like matches. They won't, they won't go out most of the time. Uh, even in the wind, they're designed to kind of stand against the wind. And so, like, you can just hold it open and, uh, and it won't go out. It'll just stay lit. Right? Like, I'm, I'm not doing anything right now to it. It's, it's just staying lit. And uh, it's really cool. You can go to, like, you know, when, when did they start that thing where it's like you would go to, like, a, a an Aerosmith concert or, like, a rock concert, and you would hear, like, a power ballad and uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the arena would, like, open up their Zippo lighters and they would hold them high up into the air, you know? Wave them back and forth. And uh, it's amazing that uh, nobody got hurt. That that sounds that's kind of dangerous because uh, people at those things like often like to crowd surf or they like to uh, <laughs> they like to get up on uh, their boyfriend's shoulders and like uh, take their tops off or whatever. So. But what's what's really cool about this talking about a talking about the wind is that sometimes you may be out there on a very cold and windy day, right? And you can open up your Zippo and actually hold the top, like the top opens up on the hinge, and you can hold it against the wind and flick it. This one needs some oil. Jeez. Okay. So you can, like, flick it. Darn it this thing open all right there it is so you can flick it and hold the case against the wind and it will actually act as a windscreen i just figured this out like the other day because i've been like doing it all wrong i've been holding it 
perpendicular to my face instead of like straight ahead to block out the wind and it actually works really well. You don't have to like find a, a corner to uh, to block yourself away from the wind and uh, light your cigar. So it's really helpful. It's nice. So, yeah, the, the thing about this Reservoir Dogs uh, Zippo lighter that I've got here, this is the oldest uh, Zippo lighter that I've had, that I have. I, I think I got this thing in 2007, uh, like I said, when my, uh, when my sister got married. And uh, what's fascinating about this is that I actually, it's, I'm holding it in my hand now, but I didn't for almost 10 years. Okay. This thing was lost out in the wild for 10 years. So what happened was, is that I, I think it was sometime around 2010. Uh, I was uh, just carrying this Zippo around and it was just really an affectation at the time. I didn't need a Zippo. I didn't really regularly require a, li a lighter. Okay. But I, I nevertheless uh, carry this around in my pocket. I guess it was like a good luck charm or um, you know, my brother-in-law gave me like a gift that I, I didn't really have a use for, but I carried around it. I carried it around anyway, just to kind of, uh, you know, be nice because it was a gift and he, he put some thought into it. Right. So sometime around 2009 or 2010, I lose this thing. So this is about two or three years after he got it for me. And, uh, I had it one day, and then the next day I didn't. And I was absolutely sure that it had fallen out of my pocket over at a friend of mine's house. And for years, I was absolutely convinced that he had found it and just either thrown it away or stored it, because every time I asked him about it, he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and I was sure that he knew, and he just didn't want to, like, let me down. So I don't I don't really trust my friends a lot, I guess, is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> but yeah, this Reservoir Dog Zippo lighter with the name Mr. Booty on it and a little, uh, you know, guy in a black and white suit and sunglasses, right? So years go by and like about once every three years or, go, uh, or um, once every three years or so, I'll have the need to ask my friend about it again. Like, hey, did you by chance find this Zippo lighter? Uh, thinking that maybe he had forgotten that I had ever asked him about it in the first place. And, you know, he would always say, no, like I said last time you asked three years ago, I, I have no idea where it is. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, and uh, I would just go and look for it around my apartment thinking maybe it... Uh, it just got accidentally shuffled away with a bunch of other junk that I have. And uh, every once in a while, I would like clean my entire house on the off chance that I would specifically find this Reservoir Dogs Zippo lighter that my brother-in-law gave me as a groomsman gift for his wedding, right? Two years ago, I get this uh, message on Facebook. 
It's like, hey, it's from a stranger. And they say, hey, did you by chance uh, own a Zippo lighter that has uh, this guy in like a black suit and a white tie on it? And I said, actually, yeah. And they said, okay, I, I, I figured because, and this, this is honestly when like having a weird last name like, like mine, like Booty, really does come in handy. Because, like, if my last name were Jones and it said, like, Mr. Jones, they they would, uh, th- I would I would not be holding this uh, Zippo lighter today, right? Some guy in the Counting Clubs, Counting Crows fan club would. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, she says, uh, wow, there's only, like, three or four booties on the internet, uh, so this must be, this must be yours, right? And I said, yeah, and, and she happens to be in my town in Birmingham. And, uh, and, uh, she says, would you like me to, uh, to mail it to you? And I, I said, um, sure. Or you could just drop it by my house. And she ended up mailing it to me because I think that, uh, she thought maybe I was like trying to, uh, to hook up with her or something like that. I don't know, but, <laughs> but yeah, here it is now. And that that was what, two years ago or so I didn't have this thing for years. And apparently I asked her where she found it, and uh, she said she found it in a parking lot like 10 years ago. Uh, so apparently this thing fell out of my pocket or something, or maybe I put it on the top of my car or something and it fell off when I like uh, pulled out of the parking lot or something. You know, that happens occasionally, right? And so, yeah, she uh, she said, yeah, I just found it in a parking lot, and I've had it for 10 years. I came across it when I was cleaning, so I'll send it over to you, right? So yeah, it's odd that at the same time I was cleaning, trying to knock this lighter loose, somebody else was cleaning, and they did knock it loose, and I sent that energy out into the universe And now I have my lighter. And it's great. The case functions as a windscreen. All right, we're going to take a break here for just a minute and listen to some music. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight.
and back to the show. Hope you enjoyed that uh, musical interlude. What's that music we had there? Yeah, we had a couple songs there just now. Uh, Blackout Romeo was the first one by the Spin Wires. And then a surf band named Shecky Brown. <laughs> These names. <laughs> Hawaii 50 CB203, of course, because they're weird like that. So I was looking at, uh, yeah, the Zippo Wikipedia entry, and I knew they uh, were manufactured in Pennsylvania. Um, I just didn't know where. There's like. Pennsylvania's full of weird towns, right? Like, there's Hershey, Pennsylvania, where it smells like chocolate. And then there's uh, Bradford, Pennsylvania, where apparently it just smells like lighter fluid, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Zippo uh, Company, they've been around since 1932. So this is uh, the 90-year anniversary of Zippo Lighters. And uh, yeah, they've been uh, quite popular ever since, and especially by uh army gis yeah they they were given them uh general issue and there's a there's a passage here about the vietnam war uh you know that i'd like to read you if you'll allow me uh morley saffer in his august 5th 1965 cbs news report and Private First Class Reginald Malik Edwards, the rifleman with the 9th Regiment, U.S. Marine Corps, Da Nang, uh, June 1965 to March 1966, whose profile comprises, comprises Chapter 1 of Wallace Terry's book, Bloods, An Oral History of the Vietnam War by Black Veterans, uh, described the use of Zippo lighters in search and destroy missions during the Vietnam War. Uh, Edwards stated, when you say level of village, you don't use torches. It's not like in the 1800s. You used a Zippo. Now you would just use a Bic. That's just the way we did it. You went in there with your Zippos, everybody. That's why people bought Zippos. Everybody had a Zippo. It was for burning shit down. <laughs> so, I just uh, used it to light my... Uh, whiskey tobacco candle from bath and body works so <laughs> that's what we use them for now oh the american man in the 21st century Yeah, why, why am I doing a, another show tonight just so randomly in the middle of, uh, well, in early February? Uh, like, what, six months after I did the last one or so? Uh, this is the first uh, Midnight Citizen podcast I've done uh, in any month other than June, July, or, or August in uh, almost five years. Well, so uh, I used to do I used to do this show. Uh, every single week for several years you know just just a brief history of the show i don't want to bore you or anything but you know i started doing this show the midnight citizen show in january of 2010 so uh over 
a little over 12 years ago. And uh, the audio has gotten a little bit better ever since then. Not much better, but uh, I used to do it on my computer microphone in the uh, house where I lived with a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, did the show uh, off and on for about three years or so before I started to kind of get serious about it. And I, I used to do it every single week. Beginning in like uh, 2014, I did it every single week, almost every week, for uh, roughly four years. And uh, and then when I, I, I got a teaching job in 2017, and that job just completely consumed me in every possible way. I had to give it all of my focus, and I just stopped doing the show. No ceremony, just uh, stopped doing it. And felt really bad about it and really missed the show. It was an incredibly sad day when I had to go in and like delete my website because uh, I just I could no longer pay for something that I wasn't really using. Uh, I still had like uh, archives back issues of, of the show, which of course you can uh, you, know, you could go and search in now mikebootycom slash the Midnight Citizen. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, I stopped doing the show for a while. And then in uh, 2020, when COVID happened and I had to teach virtually, and I realized that I wanted to give my students, uh, you know, a good audio experience, I, uh, I pulled out all my old podcasting equipment and I'm like, oh, it's here. I might as well just start doing shows again. So I started doing shows again, right, during the summer. But of course, when, when school starts back up, I have to give it all of my attention and, uh, you know, I want my weekends for for rest and all that, right? So here I am now. It's uh, February 5th, 2022, and I'm uh, doing a show. It's Saturday night at uh, 8.46 p.m. You know, I was just redundant, right? But, yeah, I decided to uh, come back here, in here and uh, do a studio uh, show again for the first time in a while. And, you know, one of those reasons was today that I uh, visited uh, in person with an old podcasting friend of mine, uh, Chad, Chad Bowers, from uh, from his show Chadcast, and uh, one of the great guys over there at the uh, Overnightscape Central, the Overnightscape Underground. So around 2011, right, I uh, joined a, a big network of podcasters over at the Overnightscape Underground, onsug, O-N-S-U-G dot com, uh, run by Frank Edward Nora out of Nutley, New Jersey. And uh, it was a great thing to do because that was 2011. I was uh, driving around all night long uh, delivering newspapers to people. I would just drive around all night long listening to these other kind of DIY podcasters back when podcasting was DIY. Uh, Like myself, just going around uh, talking about things, right? And uh, Chad was one of these guys, and uh, Chad was from Texas, but like me, he grew up in uh, Alabama, and uh, and recently Chad moved back to Alabama, and he lives like four four miles from me, so uh, it's it's uh, so we we decided to get together today. Um, he moved here last summer. We've only seen each other a couple of times. Uh, since he's moved back, it's 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 tough for, to get our schedules uh, synchronized. 
But yeah, we we met today and uh, in uh, went and had lunch and everything. We were just talking for a long time, and it's really interesting about this because um, I felt the same way back in uh, 2019 when I went to New York City with a big field trip uh, for my school. I went with all my students, and I had a night off. I just got to go off into the city and just uh, be by myself. And I ended up meeting up with Frank Edward Norris, sometimes somebody I had never met in person, but I've lift, listened to God like hundreds of hours of his show. Um, and I, I just felt like I knew the guy. Right. And it was the same thing with Chad today. Like we, we sit down, we've never, we've talked in person like a total of two times and uh, we've just uh, the rest of that is just listening to each other's shows and also going back and forth on uh, Facebook posts. But um, we get together and it's like a, a, a nonstop conversation about everything for like three straight hours. Right. And uh, I just I, I think that 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 really is this amazing thing, especially for podcasters like myself, you know, who go back to 2010, which is really the dark ages of podcasting, you know, podcasting is interesting because around 2004, 2005, you know, when the iPod first came out, uh, you know, they were called podcasts because of the iPod and then everybody wanted to get into it. And then the market got 100% saturated and everybody was just drowning out everybody else. And, uh, then podcasting, there was just this big crash you know, like around 2007 or so, like everybody stopped doing it except for the few diehards. Right. And, uh, you know, of course I was so stupid that I didn't know any of this. I thought podcasting was still a thing when I started doing my show back in 2010. And I was wondering why nobody was listening to it. Well, it's because nobody listened to podcast in 2010, really. Uh, and uh, of course that was around the time that uh, people like you know Adam Carolla uh, started uh, not only doing podcasts but just pulling in huge numbers uh, to the point where everybody started listening to podcast again but by that time uh, you know the term had been completely reshuffled and uh, it was more of like People like myself, people like Frank, people like Chad, the, these people who are just like doing these DIY podcasts and who don't have, you know, years and years of celebrity uh, behind them really did fall beneath the cracks, right? But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm not bitter about that or anything. I mean, I'm still doing my show. I can still publish it. And, you know, more people listen to it now than they did back in 2010, I think. I'm not sure. But, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here tonight uh, doing a show. Well, you asked, so, you know, I told you. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on tonight? What else? So we got, uh, yeah. Another thing about, uh, American inventions, right? While we're on the subject of the Zippo, okay? Remember uh, that show, Big Little Lies, right? There was a, a cop on that show, right? Who was like onto the, it was an HBO show and uh, about these women who banded together to like kill one of their abusive husbands. I think I may have just spoiled that, but I'm sorry. Uh, 
But there was a cop on the show, right, who was like on to them. She's like, I, I know your your lies. I know your big little lies. And every time you would see her, she would be like flicking her Zippo. She wouldn't smoke, but she would flick her Zippo. I guess the uh, implication was is that she used to smoke and she since replaced the habit of the hand-to-mouth motion with just flicking the Zippo back and forth, back and forth, right? And so every time you you saw all the characters super happy, like walking around on the beach, like, yay, we just got away with murder, right? You would just hear this like, And that became like the suspenseful sound of the show, right? This uh, Zippo flipping, flicking back and forth. So, I don't know. Yeah, so I was thinking about like American inventions. And, uh, uh, you know, this week I, I've, I've fallen into somewhat of a rabbit hole. Or I've, I've gone deep into the weeds. Whatever metaphor you want to use, I don't know about uh with uh, sentence diagramming <laughs> sentence diagramming yeah okay what else are you doing on a saturday night yeah you're gonna listen to me talk about sentence diagramming okay god help you <laughs> So, uh, yeah, as an English teacher, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I have to do is I have to uh, teach students how to diagram sentences, okay? And, and if you remember this, you probably do remember sentence diagramming. If you've been a student in the American public education system for the last 160 years, <laughs> you, you, you probably diagram sentences. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, then you're probably not an American, okay? Because this is a distinctly American invention. And I, and I looked this up. Nobody else in the entire world does sentence diagramming. So what you do is you, you draw a horizontal line and then you split it down the middle with the vertical line, right? And you take a sentence, like say, the cat jumped. And you take the subject of that sentence, which is cat, and you put it on, on one side of that vertical line, and then you take the, the predicate of that sentence, which is jumped, and you put it on the, the, uh, the right side of that vertical line. Okay, and you, you have a, the, the sentence graphically depicted as, as having a subject and a verb, okay? Now, what do you do with the the? Because every word has to be on that. Well, you, you take the the and you're like, okay, that's an adjective. So what does that modify? Oh, it modifies cat. So what you do is you take a little slanted line, you bring it off of that subject line right under cat, and you write the, okay? And so now you have your, your sentence diagramming. It's pretty simple, right? Okay, it's like uh, the first question that they ask on who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> super, super simple. And then as you, you start learning more, you know, you start learning more about adjectives and adverbs and conjunctions, and uh, you start learning about infinitives and, and participle phrases, it suddenly gets uh, a lot more complicated to the point where, you, you know, you're taking up entire notebooks. And anybody who's not from America, if they stumbled across these notebooks, would think you're like freaking insane, like Jack Torrance in The Shining or something like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, so this is sentence diagramming. This is what we learned to do in American schools, right? So this whole thing with sentence diagramming this week when I was teaching it to my students, uh, once again, I mean, every single year I, I know, sure as I teach sentence diagramming, that I'm going to get kids like super serious pushback, right? The, the, the dialogue in the English classroom has pretty much not changed since I was a student learning how to do this in the mid-90s. The, uh, the kids, a couple, like most of the class hates it. They think it's like math. It's frustrating. They don't understand what it has to do with anything. And then like there are a couple of really lucky students who just in, see the, the beauty in it, right? I was one of those kids. And usually, you know, the kids who see the beauty in sentence diagramming and, and see it as an art form, you know, they go on to become English teachers, right? <laughs> but you know this week it really kind of hit a fever pitch and because uh, every single year I get this question you know when are we going to use when are we going to need this in life what job is ever going to ask us to diagram sentences and I said well none of them but uh, the idea is is that uh, you know diagramming sentences teaches you how to read better teaches you how to write better and then they said that, you know, standard question that kids ask, uh, why or how? And uh, uh, so I, well, uh, I sweated. I, I didn't know how to answer that question. I genuinely didn't. And come to think of it, my English teacher, you know, didn't either. So uh, when I when I was in middle school or high school, so. I set off to answer that question, and, I, and I've been looking into this all week long, okay? This idea of sentence diagramming began in the 1870s, right, when, when, when Rutherford B. Hayes was president, okay? And it began in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, around the same time that America was really, like, forming its identity of, like, what it wanted to be like, right? After the Civil War, they're like, okay, we decided on the slavery question. Now, what other kind of kinds of country, uh, what do we want to be like other than a country that does not enslave people, okay? And uh, essentially what they were doing is they were going through this period throughout the entirety of the, uh, of the 19th century of just getting rid of every single kind of British influence, right? And this really started with the with, with like people like Emerson and, and Thoreau, okay, the transcendentalist, which was a very distinctly American movement. And in the 1870s, there was this students in American schools were learning how to uh, they were learning their subject verbs agree verb, verb agreements. They were learning, uh, their parts of speech by doing this very traditional British method of uh, diagramming sentences, if you want to call it diagramming. It was called parsing, where essentially the, the, the teacher would write a sentence on the board and she would smack each individual word with her ruler and ask the kids to say how that sentence, how, what that word was. So she would, you know, smack the word the and they said oh it was a determiner and then cat noun verb jumped right 
And uh, these two guys at this at this uh, school, this polytechnic school in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Alonzo Reed and Brainerd Kellogg, uh, said, uh, while we're getting rid of everything British, let's get rid of uh, parsing sentences. So they came up with this way, this method, of visually representing not just you know, sentences, but how the individual parts of sentences related to each other. Okay. So they were like, how does the prepositional phrase relate to the verb, to the predicate? Well, it acts as an adverb. So let's depict it as an adverb. So boom, 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 right? And they, they invented this. And, and suddenly it's like taking off like wildfire because uh, across American public schools. And they're diagramming sentences left and right. And they do this essentially until the 1960s. When finally a bunch of teachers are getting this question over and over again from students. Why are we doing this? What's the benefit of this? And the teacher's like, like I don't know. So you have this article come, back, come out in the early 60s that essentially says that diagramming sentences is a non sequitur in uh, American classrooms. It has nothing to do with teaching students how to read or write. And, uh, and then, uh, like 20 years later in the early eighties, the national council of teachers comes out against it and says like, you know, we need to stop doing this. It's, it's wasting time in the classroom. It has nothing to do with what anybody's with, with anything else that we teach. And, uh, somehow here we are 40 years after that still diagramming sentences. So I was, I was finally able to go back to my students with, with this answer about diagramming sentences. And I was to say, <laughs> I just said, it's basically essentially like basketball. It really has nothing to do with anything academic. It's just a fun little exercise, kids. It has nothing to do with anything. And, uh... From that, they were like, okay, let's, uh, let's do some more. <laughs> so, you know, what can I do about this? I don't know. I just I just think it's uh, it's interesting. Of course, I don't want to teach anything as long as if it doesn't have a point to it, right? And yeah, I, I have a, a group of really good students who actually really do enjoy diagramming sentences. But over the years, there have been all these uh, these methods to stop doing it or to figure out different ways of teaching sentence diagramming to students. So instead of like doing the read Kellogg method of the horizontal and vertical lines, there's like color coding sentences, like uh, color coding nouns in the sentence yellow and, and verbs orange. There's drawing like little symbols over them, like draw a moon over the noun. <laughs> I'm serious. The, these things, I'm not kidding around here. These things actually exist. Like draw a moon over the noun. Or, or draw like a little a falling falling star uh, over the verb, right? 
And uh, what you're doing is you're just diagramming sentences. Like it's like you're trading in one apple for another apple, and they're both rotten. I don't know. But this this made me think of a much bigger issue that is uh, that of how not just education but just our general behavior, right? It is informed by the people that did come before us, by our parents, by our teachers, right? If 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 they don't know what they're doing, then we we certainly don't know what we're doing, right? And so we just kind of keep on xeroxing our generations into oblivion. Like we don't question anything, we just kind of do things. And and the the thing about it is is that the uh and I checked into this this week is that the like modern curricula for schools, the common core that came out a few years ago, the this set of national standards that said what what kids have to learn uh, nationally, as well as like local and state standards, they don't say that you have to diagram sentences with kids. They just say that they have to be able to identify things like what is subject verb agreement. Uh, what are nouns, what are verbs, the other parts of speech. And they have to do this in writing, but it doesn't say that they have to diagram sentences. And yet, overwhelmingly, people are still diagramming sentences with their kids, even though they don't have to. They can skip that part entirely and just go straight into writing with students and having kids identify. And this is what I started doing this week. I would like have them write a paragraph on something. I would give them a prompt. And then I would have them like go through each of their sentences, like find where the periods were. Because a lot of times, you know, when you tell students what is a sentence, they won't really be able to tell you. Like a sentence to them just means words on a page a lot of the times. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a capital letter, a subject, a predicate, and a period. So, you know, you just have to have like, you can have students go straight into writing. And just have them identify, where's your subject? Where's your predicate, right? You don't have to get them to do art class where they're, where they're drawing everything out like it's like a mathematical formula or something. And uh, indeed, this, this seems to work from what I've at least seen in my very small sample research this week working with students. You know, teachers are doing this now because it's what they did when they were kids and, and because they they enjoyed it when they were when they were kids, they're now passing it off to their kids, most of whom are not enjoying it, but the ones who are are just gonna continue to be on be English teachers, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're just we're we're basically just like copies of, of where we are, where we came from. Um Sentence diagramming is a symptom of that. And I, I was thinking this week about, you know, what happens to like a whole generation of students who grow up without being told the why behind anything, okay? And and I was thinking about this this week when I was watching the movie Reality Bites, okay, this movie from the 90s. 
um, which is not a good film. But it does have an interesting scene in the film. If you haven't seen it, it's a bunch of about a bunch of you know slackers uh, living in 1993 Houston, Texas. Right after they graduate college, they don't have anything to do with their lives except work at the Gap and sit around their apartment and philosophize and smoke pot and drink beer and all that. And uh, the Ethan Hawke character in that movie, you know, he's like the prototypical couch philosopher. sits there all day long, reads his books. And has opinions about everything that's usually informed by, you know, television shows and, you know, like what's happening or whatever. And at one point, you know, somebody is uh, asking him about, you know, what he wants to do with his life or if he's ever going to get off the couch and help people. And, you know, he says right at them, you know, I'm under no obligation to make the world a better place. And so I was kind of thinking about that, that like, and I've talked about this on the show in the past, that we as a general, like people my age and a little, and and older, you know, I'm talking about like the Generation X leading into like the, I don't know, whatever you want to call elder millennials, okay? Like we, we definitely grew up in a weird era where being a slacker and being a non-participant was very glamorized. It was totally okay, and it was fashionable to not want to make the world a better place. To just sit there and just uh, and and just be in your own misery all day long. And if a bunch of other people were doing something, then it wasn't cool, right? So that was that was what we grew up in. And now we are the adults. We are the leaders. And the kids are looking to us to lead, but we don't have, we have, we sometimes struggle to offer them guidance because we didn't necessarily get it ourselves when we were children. Or if we did get it, we, we shrugged it away because it wasn't cool, you know, to, to trust anybody who knew anything in the world. I don't know. So, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, student council representative at the school and I've got to, I've got to like plan prom this year, but you know, like I didn't go to my own prom, so <laughs> it was, it wasn't, it wasn't cool. Oh, So the kids are looking to me to plan prom, but I'm like, I never went to these things. I don't know. What are they supposed to be like? All right. And with that, yes, we're going to go down to, oh, that perfect, perfect place to go to on a Saturday night in America. We're going to go down to the Video Street Video Store and check out some videos, see what they have, their latest stock. I will meet you back here after that.
in an average week. The networks bring you six made-for-TV movies. Dull. 18 hours of sitcoms. Ditto. 35 hours of infomercials. Insane. 44 hours of soap operas. Very dull. 62 hours of reruns. I saw that. And 3.2 days of commercials. <laughs> now, it's payback time. Oh, what do you mean? You see, there are only three of them. You mean the networks? Yeah, the old-style networks, and they're fading away. But there are 30 million of us. Yeah, everyone with a camcorder and a VCR. And now we've got a powerful new weapon against blah-blah-blah vision. What's the new weapon? It's new software. Yeah. It's new hardware. Hey. It's the next generation of the most successful video tool of all time. A whole new video toaster. It'll be the end of blah, blah, blah television. <laughs> the Video Toaster 4000. Toaster 4000 takes the power away from the network and gives it to the people. With Toaster 4000, we can make television better than the networks, and we don't have to answer to anyone. My name is Penn Gillette, and I'm more than half of Penn and Teller, a comedy magic duo. Go out, you buy a camera, you buy the Toaster 4000, a video deck or two, tape is cheap, and the Toaster 4000 is cheap. If you were going to buy all this stuff to make all this video the way they do it on networks, it would cost you uh, $378,000. With the Toaster, when you're all done, it's going to be a few grand. The first time I saw the Toaster 4000, I was blown away. I've never seen anything like that, ever. It was incredible. I knew I had to have them. They told me it would let you make videos just like the networks. That all seemed really cool, but I knew that with a Toaster 4000, I could do more than that. I don't have to make videos just like the networks. I mean, let's face it, the networks suck. As you can see, the video effects in the Toaster 4000 blow away all the old dinosaur equipment. We left them all behind. But there's more to making television than cutting-edge effects. Like what? You need broadcast quality graphics, and Toaster 4000 delivers. Where do you start? Start with Toaster Paint to blend images together and create cool backgrounds. With Toaster Paint, retouching reality is a snap. I like easy. Then add titles to your creation in the new Toaster 4000 character generator. The CG. Toaster CG has been rewritten from the ground up. Now, titling is as easy as choosing a font typing in some text, and then putting it right where you need it. But don't stop there. Go ahead and play. Play with the shadows, borders, colors, or sizes. Anywhere, anytime. Then jazz things up with 16 million color brushes from Lightwave or Toaster Paint. Toaster CG even has the power to make your titles and graphics as transparently clear as you'd like. Nice. In fact, Toaster CG has more than a hundred new features. Like what? Take a look. What else is new? There's a new light wave that'll launch your videos into another dimension. Light years ahead. With more than 250 new features, it's now the most powerful 3D animation system in the world. You can create anything you can imagine with advanced tools. 
like spline patches, beveling, and 3D text from Postscript. The new LifeWave is full of stunning breakthroughs that'll give your animations amazing realism and lifelike enthusiasm. But this LifeWave is much more than radical new features. Now it's up to 10 times faster, and it's been completely redesigned to make 3D easier for everyone. So get ready to watch your animations spring to life and your flying logos soar like a good logo should. Pretty incredible, huh? Yeah. Hot new software and all new hardware. Better hardware? You bet. The redesigned Toaster 4000 has new custom chips that take advantage of a powerful new partner, the state-of-the-art Amiga 4000. Together, they add up to some awesome video power, from mind-blowing new kinds of effects to user-adjustable video timing and an even better Genlock encoder. All that, plus a stunning new breakthrough. You're now watching Toaster 4000 play back this 3D animation in real time without an expensive single-frame VCR. That's incredible. So you can see why we say the Video Toaster 4000 is pushing the revolution to the next level. And I'm ready. Faster, better, and easier. Now the only limit is your imagination. Time to begin. So unleash your potential. Infiltrate the networks. Make money. Make a statement. And whatever kind of television you make, make it yours with the Video Toaster 4000. Welcome to New Granada, where people come to escape city life. It has safe streets, clean air, good schools. It's a perfectly planned community, but something strange is happening. Something that wasn't part of the plan. Seems to me like you all were in such a hopped-up hurry to get out of the city that you turn your kids into exactly what you're trying to get away from. Something that could drive this town over the edge. You are to take these home to your parents is to let them know about a special emergency meeting to discuss the problems about your people. Mommy's all right. Kid who tells on another kid. He's a dead kid. Oh! I don't know how many of us are willing to admit just how deep in trouble some of the kids in this city are. Tension is rising. You people talk about these kids like they're a bunch of animals. Tempers are raging. Your son and some of his friends are part of this. My son and his friends are part of this town. Time is running out and something's got to explode. They've got guns! Keep going! Oh! I can assure you everything is under control. They were old enough to know better, but too young to care. And now this town is over the edge.
Yankee stock hammer. Welcome back here to the Midnight Citizen Studio. Hope you enjoyed that little trip, that little jaunt down to the greatest place in the world, in the virtual world on a Saturday night, the Video Street Video Store segment I've been doing on the Midnight Citizen Show for quite some time now. Um, yeah, that first clip, that was, uh, it was a long instructional video or, or a promo video, I should say for the video toaster. And, uh, some of you may remember video toaster. I, I'm barely old enough to remember video toaster. So this, this was a, technically it was a video switcher program that you could get for your Amiga computer. Um, and I think they, they came out like in the late eighties. And then the promo video that you just heard was for the Video Toaster 4000 uh, that came out in 1993. It was the update. And uh, it gave people, for the very first time, consumers, the ability to put in you know, graphics, what they call CG, character generation. Uh, but we know, of course, CG today is just catch-all computer generation. Um. You know, editing effects, just the ability to do, like do all of the stuff you were seeing on television. And, uh, of course, they had like some celebrity endorsements from uh, Will Wheaton and uh, Penn Gillette and Tony Hawk on there, right? And, um, yeah, the video toaster, it was just the early pre precursor to, um, I guess, a few years later, we would get things like Final Cut Pro. And uh, Adobe Premiere, which I use today, and Sony Vegas. And um, I've always really enjoyed video editing. It's just always been a passion of mine, something I really enjoy doing. And uh, I'm always fascinated to sort of see the uh, uh, the ancestors of what we use you know, today. I, I think the people who were using Video Toaster back in the day would just be absolutely fascinated by what I'm using right now. With little skill at all, I'm using the open broadcasting uh, studio to uh, to do a live show right now. I mean, technically it's live on tape, but yeah, I'm switching between graphics here, and uh, I just uh, it's absolutely just so much fun. And as a matter of fact, the uh, some of you may have noticed the uh, the uh, cover for this week's episode of the Midnight Citizen Show, episode number two thirty one, is a uh, is an homage to the video toaster logo, which uh, pretty much resembles like a test pattern that's just had its world rocked, right? So yeah, I got the uh, Midnight Citizen uh, logo on on top of a test pattern with uh, the four little uh, logos to either side of the uh, of the Native American man saying "Keep your eyes open." The slogan. The slogan of the show. So there it is. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, you heard the trailer for a movie that I've actually never seen before, but it recently, uh, as far as I know, became available to stream 
There's a movie called Over the Edge from 1979. It was uh, Matt Dillon's first movie, actually. Yeah, th- this movie fascinates me because it, it, it really does uh, strike a nerve as an adult. I mean, do you know how many kids there are in the world versus adults? I mean, there's like more kids on the earth right now than there have ever been. I don't know how that happens in an age of like uh, birth control. But nevertheless, there are a lot of kids. And if they get wise, uh, they could just like kind of take over at any moment. And, and that, that, that that's kind of scary. And that's what that movie's about. It seems as if there's like this uh, planned community named New Granada. And uh, it's it's a it's a town where the, 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 the parents build to sort of have like this idyllic suburban utopia and enforce all these rules on their kids. And it just goes haywire. The kids rebel and uh, they go over the edge, as the title suggests. <laughs> And uh, that that scares me because as an adult, it's like that movie The Warriors that uh, actually also came in. It came out, I believe, in 1979 or around there. You know, there. There's the scene at the beginning of the movie The Warriors where all the gangs of New York come together and they say, did anybody ever realize that there's only like 4,000 cops in this entire city and there's like 400,000 of us? Like, what are we waiting for? Let's just take over the, the cops. Oh. Yeah. I was just thinking that uh, before too long, I mean, it really does seem like uh, the kids will get wise to us. And they'll rise up from their chairs and their desks where they're being forced to do endless drills of sentence diagramming, right? And, uh... And yeah, they'll take over and go over the edge. They're being trained to do it. Yeah, I was at a school this week and, uh, I teach seniors and the seniors started getting called out of class to go and speak to uh, this military man who was visiting. You know, he was wearing fatigues and everything and he was talking to them about the uh, great, you know, opportunities that the uh, that the army had to offer them. And uh, this is something that happens in American high schools across the country. Uh, where, yeah, they, they have these recruiters come in and, uh, it's, it's just their job to get these kids to, you know, ditch all these plans that they've made and come and join the military. And listen, for some of them, it's really good, right? I'm not anti-defense. Okay. We do need it. Right. But, uh, I don't know. I, I can only, I can only look at this through my own experience when I was in high school. Um, when I was in senior in high school, we, we had these, uh, military recruiters come to our, our, come to our lunchroom, right? Our cafeteria during lunch pretty consistently for about three months there toward the end of the year, uh, you know, coming up on graduation and, uh, they would call our houses. I had one of them call my house. 
uh, one night and uh, tried to schedule a meeting with me. He said, like, come on, come on, Mr. Booty, and uh, come meet with me, right? And uh, I was such a snarky, like, 17, 18-year-old kid, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure I was probably kind of rude to the guy because I, I wanted nothing to do with the military. <laughs> Just absolutely nothing at all. And that really does come from, I think, my grandfather, who was in, you know, World War II. He was a prisoner of war in Korea, and he was in Vietnam. And I think he has, like, four purple hearts and uh, the missing fingers to prove them. You know, it's just uh, crazy. But, uh, yeah, this military guy tried to schedule a meeting with me and, and try to get me to come into the military. And, and uh he was just absolutely hell bent on signing me up and just getting me to like uh, skip college and go into the military. And, and then the military would of course pay for my college. But uh, I realized just a few years ago when I started teaching, we started having these military people, you know, come into the school every year. And uh, I started to have flashbacks. <laughs> it was like, I was like, you know, if this guy had actually had his way, and recruited me for the military. Then six months later, I've been, I would have been going to Iraq because I graduated high school in May of like 2001. I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me here in the Midnight Citizen Studio tonight for my uh, first show since uh, last July. And uh, hopefully I'll be doing more shows uh, to come. Uh, thanks for bearing with me tonight. I know I was a little bit probably clunky at times because it does uh, take a little bit of uh, getting used to being back here in the studio talking off the cuff. Uh, but thank you so much. Please check me out over at MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen, where you can hear this show. You can also download me on Apple, uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also check me out over at uh, the Overnight Scape under Underground on SUG, O-N-S-U-G.com, where you'll see me, Frank Nora, Chad Bowers, who I met with today. All those great guys. Right? And over at youtube.com slash Mike Booty, where you can see tonight's uh, live stream on tape. That's where it is. Till next time, keep your eyes open. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs>